Good morning. My name is Doug Holcomb. I'm the senior pastor. If I've never met you before, I would love to meet you sometime. Come introduce yourself. Uh, today we start a brand new series called The Struggle is Real. But before we start talking about that, let's talk about last Sunday. Last Sunday was Easter, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who did any of the following. If you attended, thanks for being here. I hope it was helpful as we talked about Thomas's perspective on the resurrection and how Jesus met him and his point of struggle. Uh, I appreciate some of the feedback some people had about that. Uh, I hope it was meaningful if you attended. Thank you for being here. Thank you for those who invited. Uh, we had the largest crowd we've ever had as a church. We had 1,511 people here, evenly distributed. Yeah, it was great. Evenly distributed between three services. Uh, we had a theory that the middle would be the packed one. Uh, it was almost perfectly evenly distributed. So thank you for those. Well, everybody had to move service times because we had three services at unique times. Thank you for adjusting, some of you changing plans. Uh, sometimes it involves changing service times. Uh, when you attend, sometimes it involves changing seats. Thank you for those of you who <laughs> didn't sit in your normal seat. We don't have licensing seat agreements. I don't know if you knew that. We don't sell season tickets, and, uh, but we get used to our perspective, right? The struggle is real, like our seat. We've had a bond over the years, me and that seat. <laughs> It shaped me and I've shaped it, right? Like I've said it enough. So uh, thank you for adjusting. Some of you, it's a big deal. You give up your aisle seat to sit in the center of a row. Thank you. Uh, believe it or not, last Sunday, if you were in a service and it felt like, man, man this room is full, there was at least or, or about 20% uh, still available of seats in the room. So it, it wasn't full. There was room for more. Thank you for making room and adjusting your service time. Those of you who, who, who served last Sunday, some people served two services. Uh, the band obviously served three, technically served three. Uh, thank you so much for serving. And for all of you, whether you're volunteering to serve officially or unofficially, so many of you do such a great job of welcoming and warmly accepting people when they're here that we have so many hosts and greeters on that day that aren't even serving. That's just who they are. Thank you so much. For our kids ministry people, thank you so much for what you do uh, as small group leaders, as hosts, as uh, programming, everything you do. I love uh, what goes on in kids ministry. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you so much for praying. And we, we prayed a lot about last week. And I'll tell you my favorite thing about last week was in the service, we gave people a card like this and asked everybody to fill it out and write down what their struggle is or a struggle they've recently gone through. And if you want to know what people said, go look at the board that's just right out that door. It's in between the doors, and it, it's, just, it's got a bunch of these cards posted. Uh, some people said, uh, I don't want mine posted, even though they were anonymous, and we respect that. Uh, but I want you to know what my struggle is. And, and there's kind of some of the ones that were posted. These have been sitting on my desk or in my pocket all week, and, and man... I am even more aware of how real some of your struggles are. I am so sorry for some of the things that you guys are carrying. And I, to the core of my being, believe that God is present in that struggle. He has a purpose in that struggle. And there is more to your story. Some of our struggles that we shared were about something that happened in the past. Time does not heal all wounds. If you're carrying around shame or guilt or hurt that was not your choice but somebody else's bad choice, 
please get real about that and please get help. For some of us, we live in the present feeling like we are not enough. As a person, as a follower of Jesus, as a parent, as a spouse, as a grandparent, don't believe the lies that you are not enough because if you are in Christ, you are more than enough. Some of our current struggles aren't just identity issues. Sometimes they're financial issues. A number of people express that or or, um, physical issues. Stress. Relationships. Some of our issues were future-oriented. Fear, worry, anxiety. And whatever your struggle is, Our hope and prayer is that this series, no, it is, we we want this series to be helpful. Our hope and prayer really is that Jesus would use this series so he could be helpful and use us to help each other in a season of struggle. This is why I think this series matters. One, everything written on any one of these cards, everything written on one of these cards that isn't posted, everything that was written uh, or not written, but it's kind of being carried right now. The struggle is real. So here's why this series matters. One, for many of us, we are struggling right now. And it's a very real struggle, and we need hope, and we need help. That's why I hope this series will be impactful. Or you will be struggling someday, and I hope that what we talk about over the next uh, two months will be helpful to prepare you. So when it happens... You're ready. There's a, there's a thing, if you've ever flown on an airplane, they give the details about what to do in an emergency every time, right? Every time. I've only been on one flight where I thought, I'm glad I was listening. Like they said, we need to turn around. One of the engines had a little issue. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> well, it stopped. So they needed to turn around and land right away. And I thought, well, okay, now where are those exits again? They were pointing like this. And I never actually looked at where, the, where they were pointing to and you know, the oxygen mask thing, like, it's good to be prepared ahead of time. Hopefully this series can help you prepare because the reality of this world is it is full of struggles. Some of you have struggled in the past and you've been through it. And we need what you experienced through that, your experience and what you experienced to help others because their struggle is real. And the other reason I think this series matters is my struggle's real. I'm going to struggle. And I struggle. In fact, let me tell you what I wrote on my card. This is my card. I didn't post it. I will today. Uh, But I have several things on my card that I struggle with. And I've always tried to be open and honest about the fact that anxiety has always been a player in my life. Always. And I have grown a tremendous amount of understanding what God has to say and who God needs to be through those times, and it's there, but it's never quite fully gone away. It's always there to remind me, and I've had to switch my mindset to say, I need this to be a prompt to how I respond to Jesus, not how I respond to my fears, anxieties, or worries. So that's kind of more future-oriented stuff. And the upside, if you're a worrier, if you just want to know, you're probably pretty good at strategy and planning. And so God uses that side of me in healthy ways. The negative, the shadow side of that is I struggle sometimes. 
And I was glad to read that I'm not alone in that. I'm sorry that I'm not alone in that, but we share a struggle. Uh, Stress is a current player in my life. It has been for the last uh, several months, uh, but beyond that, stress has been a player. It's cost me sleep. I haven't slept through the night in two months. Um, and some of you share that struggle and stuff like that, and I've, I've talked to doctors, and I know what I'm kind of doing about it, but, but sh- I'm tired. Because I wake up, and I start thinking the what-ifs, and then I deal with that, but then there's still the what-is. There is a stressor pushing on my life, and I've got to kind of figure out how to live with that. Uh, the other thing uh, on there, like I said, lack of sleep is one. And then the other thing for me is parenting is hard. We adopted our kids five years ago, and when we got them, they knew more about being kids than we knew about being parents. So it's always been playing catch up. And my kids have seen some things and been through some things that uh, they've got some hurts that we're trying to help walk them through. And I tell you the idea of, of, of those of you who shared, I just feel like I'm not enough as a parent. Man, I get that. At least I get it what it's like in my world. Like some of my struggles are real. And so... Uh, one of the things that God does in my life when we prepare for a series is I end up having to live with it for a long time. So this series was started preparing a, a year ago. So all year long, we've been kind of adding to it and, and adjusting and preparing it. And so part of that is I get to be a practitioner more than a theologian as we talk about this. Um, what I want to challenge you to do today is very simple, just to get real about your struggles. Because if you do not get real about your struggles, you will continue to really struggle. For whatever reason, when we struggle, we don't take a, st- take a step forward and show people our cards. We take a step back and we hide them. And it's happened from the very beginning of history. When the very first struggles encountered mankind that was actually initiated by mankind, we have been a withdraw and hide kind of people. And if you do not get real about your struggles, you will get stuck. You will continue to really struggle. The other reason I think this is really, really important is as you acknowledge your struggles, here's the other truth. Their struggle is real too. The person sitting next to you has a struggle. The people that posted on that board have struggles. People in your family have struggles. And their struggle is real too. And if they don't get real about their struggles, they will continue to really struggle. And so all of us are kind of playing this game of cards where we hold the cards close to our vest and we don't want anyone to see where we're struggling. But the minute someone shows their cards, other people feel comfortable to kind of lay down their cards. But the minute someone says, you can't struggle with that, they pull, pick up the cards and they, they pull back and they withdraw. So when we know that They're struggling, and their struggle is real, and we need to create a safe place. Sometimes that's as simple as going first, of saying, look, here's my struggles. Let me lay my cards on the table. It's modeling it for your kids, for your family, for your small group, for your class at school, for the team that you coach, for the people you do life with. Just going first. Compassion is needed and required, especially compassion for those who struggle with something that I don't. Because I know my struggle and it's real. But I hear another struggle and I, I, I just don't understand. Because I'm not going through it. It's not personal experience. 
But empathy and compassion are required, and we need authentic community, authentic relationships where we can be real about our struggles. I invite you to do the same, and we kind of do that together, giving ourselves permission to say, this is where I am. What's the way forward? Let me give you a tip if that's a struggle for you, because here's why I want to do this, because if we want to create communities of people that can give permission for people to be authentic about their struggle, when people do that, how you respond really does matter. And being honest of saying, man, that's a real struggle. I honestly can't relate to that. That could be true, but you necessarily don't have to say that. Can I give you something else you might want to say? You could say this. Here's just a tip. I don't know how you feel, but I do care about how you feel. Like, I don't know exactly what it's like to live with that struggle, but I do care about how you're feeling. And I don't know what it's like to live with that struggle, but I do care about you in this struggle, and I'm willing to walk with you through it, even though, quite honestly, I don't know what to do or what to say. If you don't know what to do or what to say, just don't say anything. How many of our lives have encountered someone who had something well-meaning they wanted to say, and they open their mouth being like, I've got to say something. Your presence means more to me than words. Just be there and say, I'm so sorry. How can I help and how can I pray? I don't know how you feel, but I do care about how you feel. Empathy is required. And my hope is that we can create families and small groups that our student ministry, our kids' ministry, as a church, wherever we are, in any relationship circle we find ourselves in, we can go first in giving permission to say, it's okay to struggle. And the best way to do that is to say, you know what, I'm struggling and here's my struggles. Now, before you do that, and don't leave before the service is over, I was going to feel really bad if somebody was getting up and walking out and kind of, oh gosh, you know. So, like, I, I want to say something at the end about what that looks like because I think you do need, to, do need to get real with others, but not necessarily everybody. I've done an experiment for the last two months where if somebody said, how are you doing, unless I literally was just walking past and I didn't have time, I tried to stop and say, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing so good, or I'm struggling these days, or I'm in a tough season of life. And a lot of times when I would do that, it would be like. <laughs> Suddenly they're thinking, can I charge like as a therapist right now? Like, what is this? And like, but I just wanted to say, I want to I do this for two reasons. One, I want to I kind of model that it's okay to do that. And I also want to get used to just developing this new habit in my life. I don't want to just say everything's fine if everything's not fine. Because we live in a world that's broken and fallen. We'll never have a day in life where everyone and everything is just fine. The world is broken. And the risen Jesus can do something about that. But we, he's stepping into the mess, and it's a mess. And we need to create a permission in the circles around us by setting the temperature that it's okay to struggle by going first and saying, I'm content to be in this place of struggle, but I'm not content to stay here. I want to move forward on the journey that Jesus has for me. And I believe that whatever your current struggle is, God can use that. What if your current struggle is actually this opportunity that God has planned for you, or he will use in your life to transform your life? There's this really obscure passage that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, where it talks about when Moses got the, the Ten Commandments, and, and, and he kind of downloads them from Jesus onto his tablet, like the stone tablet, right? And, and he gets those, and he comes down, he gets mad because they forgot, and they're 
building a golden capsule. He smashes them. He goes up and gets another set of tablets. And when he comes down from meeting with God, his face is glowing. And so everyone's scared of being around him. So he puts this veil over his face because he doesn't want to scare the people. He didn't want to scare the children. And so he, he, every time he comes back from meeting with God, he's glowing. And so he puts this, this veil over his face. And the apostle Paul says, he goes, he, it doesn't say this in the Old Testament, but it says it, Paul says, he goes, he kept wearing the veil when the glow went away. Because he was the guy who met with God and he had that glow about him, literally. And when it went away, he wanted to keep that identity. So he kind of kept the veil on. So people would say, well, we can't see the glow, but I'm sure he's still glowing. And Moses is like, please don't look behind the curtain. And he says, look, here's the deal. He goes, because Jesus has come, and he doesn't just want to teach you something. He wants to give his life to you so he can live through you because he gave his life for you. He goes, you now have this unveiled opportunity to connect with God. And, when, and he goes on to say, when we with unveiled faces connect with him, we will be transformed to be like him. God is doing a work in your life. And this struggle might be a tool that he uses to help you become the person he created you to be. There's a passage in John chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And in John chapter 5, Jesus has this encounter with this guy who is stuck. And he has this interaction with him that helps him move forward. And I hope, I'm hoping it can help you move forward too. And in John chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So John is saying, this is where it happened. You could go to this place and see where it happened, and there is this place. And this is what happened on that day. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now in your Bibles, that's probably all it says, unless there's a footnote, although it might have verse 4 in there, but in mine, in many Bibles, there's a footnote that says this actually wasn't found in the earliest manuscript, and it goes on to say this. And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. Well, that was a footnote in my Bible because what I love about this it shows the integrity of this book. That they're like, hey, let's just, like, we're not sure how that got in there. We can't fully be sure it was there originally because what it feels like and what most people believe is a scribe later on said, no one's going to know what this means. Like when you talk to people in Dallas about blowing dust and they go, oh yeah, I know what you mean. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't know what blowing dust is. If you don't see a cloud coming at you, it makes you feel like, is this the end of days? What is this? <laughs> like, you don't understand. So John's like saying, I want, you know, or the scribe said, I want you to understand why these people would do this. Why would disabled people have a race to do a cannonball into the water? Like, that makes no sense. So they're trying to help you understand. It shows the integrity of saying, we're not sure how this got in there. We think it was added later. And it's not a critical piece of information, but somebody thought it might be. Verse 5, it says this. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question. Do you want to get well? Does that feel, sound like a kind of an obvious, like, really you have to ask that? 
I mean, that's why everyone's there. They formed a, not a club to get together and talk about their problems, but they were looking for hope and help, and they wanted to change. Like, do you want to get well? It seems like an obvious question, right? But maybe it's not. Because it seems like a ridiculous question, but there's a question behind the question that's true for many of us. And whatever your struggle is, it might seem ridiculous if Jesus said, do you want to get well? Do you really want to change? Are you willing to change your approach to seeking change? Are you willing to kind of lay your cards on the table with others, be honest with yourself, with God, and with others, and say, this is my struggle? Are you willing to do something that Jesus asked you to do that might be challenging? This guy had been this way for 38 years. This had been his, the place where he lived in this condition. He's been stuck here. And Jesus says, do you want to move forward? Because here's what I really think is necessary to move forward, is you need to get real if you want to get moving. Getting real is kind of step one. If you're not real and authentic, you're probably going to be there for a while. The guy replies and says this, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. He didn't answer the question. Do you want to get well? I have no one to help me in the pool. That's really not the answer to the question Jesus asked. It's really more of an excuse. I can't because. Or this will never change because. We are very limited at times in thinking about how God might help us get well. Or even what get well looks like. And sometimes what we're really asking is, God, don't ask anything of me, but could you change everything around me? You need to get real if you want to get moving. We often make excuses rather than just answering the question. And the danger of that is our struggle can become our identity. And the minute, the minute my struggle or my identity becomes my struggle, this is who I am, I better get comfortable because I'm going to be there for a while. And I'm going to miss out on experiencing the identity of who Jesus is has called me to be, who died to help me become, and through his Holy Spirit is transforming me every day. If this becomes my identity, I get stuck. So you need to get real to get moving. The problem is we become content with the elephants. Have you ever heard the phrase, the elephant in the room? You know what I really wanted to do today? This is a crazy thought, but I thought, wouldn't it be great if we just had a huge elephant just like sitting over here like today and... The elephant in the room is like, it's the big thing going on in life that we just don't talk about, right? Does anyone not know what that phrase means? That's what it means. The elephant in the room means there's something going on, and we all know it's there, but we don't want to talk about it. Don't talk about Uncle Joe's temper. Don't do that. <laughs> Why? Because Uncle Joe will get bad. And we just, it's best let, best let sleeping dogs lie, and Uncle Joe be calm. Like, let's, that's, that's what's best. It's the elephant in the room. And what's so funny about that, I want to have this giant elephant. So twice last week, I'm driving around town, and there's this giant elephant on a trailer. And I saw it once. There was like a hotel over here on the Louvre. It used to be a Holiday Inn. I don't know what it is now. And there was one at a gas station over in the Marshall Sharp Freeway. I'm like, why is there an elephant on a trailer? Like, God, is this, like, did you, like, and, like did I pray for this? And like, this is your answer? Like, but anyway, we don't have an elephant in the room, but we got lots of elephants in the room, right? We have things going on that we just don't talk about. Because it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. And the minute I put it out there that what my struggle is, you're going to think differently about me. 
Because you make it my identity. Or you hold it against me. It's dangerous. But it's necessary. It's more dangerous to hide it. Because it becomes your identity and you get stuck. There's this new normal that happens. And if you've ever kind of stuck your, your leg or your feet in hot water, like a bathtub or a hot tub, and you stick your feet in there, and it's hot at first. But you give it a minute, and suddenly it's not as hot anymore. And what's happened is it's not that the temperature dropped that much. You've adjusted to a new normal. And you can live, your body says, okay, I'm good with this now. It's like jumping in a pool, getting the cold over, uh, the opposite, the, the cold over with. If you jump in a cold pool, and suddenly it's not as cold anymore after a few minutes. Because your body says there's a new normal. Your identity can become your new normal. Your struggle can become your new normal. Whatever you live with for too long can become your new normal. And if you stay there and get stuck there, suddenly that's who you are. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Or is this the new normal for you? And for most of us, we'd say, I don't want these struggles. But we get stuck. It becomes an identity. It becomes this place where we live. And Jesus says, this is not the place I have for you, and this is not the identity I have for you. The way forward is to believe and pursue this new normal that Jesus has for you that's different from your current normal. To get unstuck, it will require you getting real with yourself, with God, and with others. Our key verse for this series, and we're going to spend a lot of time in Paul's letter to the Corinthians because they had a lot of struggles. But the thing, what Paul says so much as he's writing to this church in Corinth is Paul makes it very clear, I've got a lot of struggles as he writes them. And he says this in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And this is going to be our verse for the series. Talking about Jesus, Paul talking about Jesus. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in, what's the word? Weakness. He goes on to use this word four times in this sentence. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, for his sake, not for my, my weaknesses' sake or my struggle's sake, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak... Suddenly there's a new identity possible. I am strong. Not because I have strength, but because Jesus has strength and he has grace. There is this opportunity in struggle. And we're going to come back to this passage in a few weeks and talk about it. Paul is very honest about his struggles. He says, I've got weaknesses like you wouldn't believe. I've got one that I've prayed that would go away and for whatever reason, it's with me for life. It's riding shotgun and I cannot shake it. I've been beat up, I've been persecuted, I've been thrown in jail for what I believe, I've got things happening, I've got hardships, there's storms, there's all these things going on. But he says, I'm, I see now there's this opportunity that there is nothing too big where God doesn't say, I've got this. Follow me, trust me, and in this moment, my grace can be there and my grace and my strength becomes yours. We have an incredibly generous God who wants to give that to us because he gave himself for us. 
So as Jesus talks with this guy about what's going on, he, he doesn't make it say, he doesn't go back and say, now answer the question, do you want to get well? You've never said yes. He just says, I'll meet you where you are. I'll meet you at this place of struggle. And it says, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. What happens next in the story is um, people get mad because it's the Sabbath day. And in the religious system of Judaism at that time, it was a very serious deal to break the Sabbath. And they said, okay, we know what the Scripture says in the Old Testament. Of course, it was the Testament then. <laughs> what the Scripture says then about the, the Sabbath thing, keeping it holy. So let's make a bunch of other laws, about 800 of them, to make sure that nobody steps out of line and we get it right. And in doing that, they lost the heart of what this Sabbath was meant to be, this idea of cease, of rest. The thing is, God doesn't rest from working in people's lives. Aren't we glad about that? And so this wasn't the only time it happened. It happened seven other times that's recorded in Scripture where Jesus on the Sabbath day decides to do something. And as he does this, uh, he gets in this interaction with the, the religious leaders, and they said, you can't do that. And Jesus starts telling them why he's doing what he's doing. And in verse 17, he says, in his defense, when he's talking about why he healed somebody on the Sabbath day, he says that my father is always uh, at his work to this very day, and I too am working. He says, God's at work. I'm with him. And it's, to me, it's a kind of a subtle way of saying, who are you with? What are your laws designed to do? To connect people to God? To join God in his work? And they push him a little bit more, and they get really riled up because he's claiming to be God. And so in verse 19, Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. There's this great hope for us. God doesn't take a day off from working in your life or the lives of the people around you. Rest matters. Honoring him matters. But people matter. So much so that Jesus says, I want to do something today. And I think he had a lot of things he wanted to do with this moment. But this one guy, he said, I'm going to heal him. Do you want to get well? He makes an excuse. He goes, I'll just assume you said yes. Get up and walk. And the guy gets up and he gets moving. Well, here's the question I've always had about this. Was that that, did it say that's the only guy sitting at the pool that day? It said a great number of people gathered there, right? Why was this the only guy that was healed? Why didn't Jesus say, hey, nobody get up, no cannonballs, just sit, sit, keep your seats, hang on. Everybody's healed, you get healed, and you get healed, and you get healed. Why didn't he pull an Oprah? <laughs> you get a car, and you get a car. Like, why didn't he do that? Why just the one guy? And the one guy even didn't even get especially real and say, hey, here's my deal. Here's what's going on. But Jesus meets him there anyway. The guy kind of leans into Jesus a little bit and he meets him halfway and kind of brings him there. So why just the one guy? Because that's what, is what his father was doing that day. That's, that's, the, I mean, that's what scripture tells us. He did it. It doesn't tell us why he didn't. It tells why he did what he did. Every day, Jesus got up and did what exactly what his father was doing. Heavenly Father, are you at work in this guy's life? Then that's what I'm doing. It makes a lot of sense for us to every day wake up and say, God, what are you doing in my life and the lives of the people around me, and how can I be part of that? 
And there's actually a weird thing that happens when we struggle. You have permission to struggle. But a weird thing that happens is when you're struggling, other things kind of sneak up on you. And, and you miss some things going around you. God's at work around you, and you miss it because you're just looking at your struggle. One of the values of us struggling together is maybe God wants to use me in your struggle and use you in mine. Figure out where God's at work and join him. The question Jesus asked him, he asked us, do you want to get well? Do you know you need help? Do you know that you need Jesus? Do you know that Jesus is interested in you? Do you know that Jesus, the God of the universe, can do something about your situation and in your situation? Here's the very simple challenge I have for you this week. I want to challenge you to get real. And I want to challenge you this way, specifically how to do that. There you go. If You need to get real if you want to get moving. Do you want to move forward? Probably the answer is yes. Do you want to get real? Will you be authentic about your struggles? And again, there's three people you need to get, get honest with. You need to get honest with, with yourself about what's really going on. Not what you wish was going on, not your version of what's going on, but ask God, would you give me wisdom and clarity to understand what's going on in my life right now? And if you're not sure what's going on in your life, ask the people around you. They know from observing. There's some people that know just from watching you. I can see some things about your struggle. They don't know everything, but some people can give you some insight. But be honest with yourself, not what you wish was going on in your life. What is actually going on? But you have to start with being honest with yourself and then also being honest with God. He knows already. Like you can keep the cards as close to the vest as you want, but he knows already. And for some of us, that's terrifying. God knows everything going on in your head and heart. He knows everything from your past. That's why he went to the cross. And what does it say that he still values you, even when he knows everything, even the thing that nobody else knows that's going on? See, what you believe about God will pretty much determine how you feel about that truth, that, that being honest with God is, you can do that because he knows everything already. Like what you believe about his character will lean you one way direction. Okay, I want to run from God or run to God. Be very careful about how you let things that aren't true about who God is shape that statement of he knows already. So it's really just agreeing with him and being honest with him. And then thirdly, being honest with others. Here, here's the footnote I, I want to add to this. Not everybody. Not everybody has to get up on a stage and have a microphone and say, here are my struggles. Unfortunately, I do. <laughs> but you, you don't have to do that. Don't work on with everybody. And there were some people who said, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I figured the CVS employee didn't need to know that my family's in a season of struggle or that I'm really tired. Uh, you know? My friends do. My community does. Be honest with others, but it doesn't have to be everybody, but I do believe it has to be somebody. Start with someone. Start with a name. I'm going to be honest with this person. I want to be honest with myself, with God, and with someone. Because your struggle is real. It is a real struggle, and it will shape you. But what if God could shape you more? By putting it in his hands. Get real so you can get moving. But also, the people around you, their struggle is real too. 
Give permission for them to struggle. Go first in modeling that it's okay. Show compassion. And when someone lays something out there and you've got no way of relating to that, I don't know how you feel, but I do care about how you feel. I don't know what the next step is for that struggle, but I'm willing to work with you to find a next step. And for some of you that shared your struggles, I'll be really honest, some of you, you need to get help. If you have thoughts about hurting yourself or hurting somebody else, do not let that thought just rattle around in your head. Please come talk to me. Please talk to somebody. Because Jesus said, I have come to give you life. And if it's involved in taking life, stop. Push pause. Immediately talk to somebody about it. Someone that's safe. We actually do have some resources that can help you. That's not a somebody, but it's a something you can go to. We have a thing at Live Oak that we gift to everybody called Right Now Media that have a ton of Bible studies and resources that you can just watch with yourself as a family or in a small group. And if you have something that's going on in your struggle, you might just kind of type that in the search and see what comes up. That's how you sign up. Simply request a login using the sign-up links on our app or website, and we can get you access to this. It's like, it's like a Christian Netflix that's a resource for help. Some things are good, but some ones are better. Going through struggles with others is incredibly important, so I encourage you to do that. Hey, before we uh, close in prayer, let me tell you about one of the ways, and next week we're going to talk about kind of a replenishment strategy of how do you kind of replenish for, the, for, for your struggle wherever you are. Uh, I was given a gift uh, to help me with my struggles that I don't know if, if your bosses will do that for you, but they did it for me, that I'm getting a sabbatical. A sabbatical comes from the word Sabbath, which means cease. So for six weeks, I get to cease from some things, not everything, but cease from working. And so after next Sunday, uh, I get a six-week sabbatical. And I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to try and figure that out and rest. And we're an elder-led congregation. I am unelder, not the elder. And so they decided to give me that gift uh, because I've done ministry for 27 years. Uh, 15 of those have been here, nine, and then I was gone for nine and then back for uh, six. And uh, in the middle of that, did a graduate degree and uh, support raising for nine years and uh, going through adoption. So they just thought this would be a good time to do this. We've done it for other staff in the past. And so uh, I was not asked if I wanted one. It was, it was gifted to me, and, and I'm grateful for their heart in that, uh, of saying this is a season where actually, man, I could use some rest. Like I said, I'm, I haven't slept well, and so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I also know that uh, teaching the rest of the series, I'll be here next week. Uh, a lot of the content we've worked on for here is still the same, uh, but the people delivering it, Mark and Clay, will do a great job with that, and then, uh, and then I'll be back at the end of May. Does that make sense? Good. If you have any ideas of what to do with my sabbatical, let me know. Um, I might get into soap operas or, I don't know, whittling or something. Uh, hey, one more thing. Look around the room and see how full it is. There are actually 83 open seats in this room right now, but it doesn't feel like it, does it? There's room. You know somebody who's struggling right now? Please invite them for this series. Or even better yet, just invite them to be in a conversation with you about the struggle. Because uh, we do think the struggle is real and we want this series to be really helpful but really, you guys are the ones who will be most helpful to those struggling as we kind of extend that grace to others. Let's stand for closing prayer. If you're a college-aged person, a young adult, uh, lunch today after the 1230 service 
at Rosa's. Uh, some people wait till Tuesday to have tacos. We are overachievers. We're going to do that on Sunday. Sabbath and tacos go, to well, go together. So uh, you're invited to that. Lunch is on us. Um, yeah, love to have you join us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thanks that you put people throughout Scripture that struggled so we could see this permission to struggle. Uh, thanks that you offer us hope and help like no other. Thank you for Paul's example uh, of how he struggled and how we're going to draw from that in this series with some not just tools that can help us, but some truth that we need to know. God, you know everything already, but you still ask us to be honest and agree with you about what's going on in our life. I pray that you would use this series to help people get moving, to get real, and to step into the story that you're writing in their lives. God, help us to be a community that welcomes people who are struggling and invites them to get real. Because that's your invitation to us, is that you want our our authentic selves presented to you. Not who we wish we are, but who we are and who you're creating us to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down here at the front.